Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Season 13, Episode 11. I'm your host, Dean Jones. You may have noticed that we've had a bit of a hiatus um, in the programming. Season 13 had a good start, uh, but I got kind of sidetracked by a lot of life events. So please forgive me for the kind of unexpected uh, hiatus that we've had. Uh, we'll be continuing to have a little bit of a hiatus after I release a few episodes, and then um, we're going to kind of come back in the spring. So uh, I hope you enjoy these two episodes that I'm releasing back to back to kind of release to the public, and then I'm going to have a little bit of a hiatus. In the meantime, I'm going to replace some old episodes for you over the next few weeks in the holiday season until I get back to my regular scheduled programming. Today I'm talking with author Tessa Kiris. She's a uh, written 11 cookbooks to date, and she has a new cookbook out now called Now and Then, a collection of recipes for always. Tessa is a food writer, a recipe developer, and cookbook author. She was born in London to a Finnish mother and Greek Cypriot father. She spent her early childhood in South Africa and then traveled the world extensively, working in restaurants and with families in different countries. Now she lives in Tuscany, Italy, with her husband and two daughters. Tessa's passion for food is evident in her writing and her cooking. She loves to explore different cultures and traditions, and she loves to weave them together for her dishes. She is a big believer in the importance of preservation and community and dining. She's written 11 cookbooks to date, and she's always collecting new recipes and things that inspire her. She's a true foodie at heart, and she loves to share her love of food and others. Now, I have to add a personal note. I you know, worked in um, bookstores and libraries, etc., and uh, Tessa's books are well-loved by people who love food writing. Um, she is somebody whose books are really, really uh, talked about by other cookbook authors, and she's very well respected. Um, I, I can't recommend her work enough, and I know I say this about a lot of my guests, but I think that if you do extensively like food writing above and beyond cookbooks, and you like to read uh, cookbooks that are well done, you're really going to love Tessa's work. Um, without further ado, I'm going to take you to my conversation with Tessa Kiris. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. Today I'm speaking with author Tessa Kiros, who has written 11 cookbooks to date. Tessa has a new cookbook out now called Now and Then, a collection of recipes for always. Tessa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. Now, I, I want to, um, for our listeners who are not familiar with your life, um, I just want to go over, um, you grew up in a Finnish and Greek household, what was it like growing up with two different cuisines in the household? Well, you know, actually it was super. I mean, that's what I knew. And um, it, it was really wonderful. I was aware that it was a different sort of household because we were in South Africa. I was born in London, but um, we lived in South Africa then when, from when I was about four. And I knew that, you know, we had different different parents, different this. We, we moved a lot of schools. So I was aware that, that my parents were not maybe, you know, um, the same as the ones in the school, but it was wonderful. It was actually wonderful. There was a big Greek community there. Oh, wow. 
Okay. Less of a Finnish community, but we were very ingrained in, in our communities anyway. With traveling to Greece, we would go most of the summers to Cyprus to see my grandparents. And um, my mom was always making her wonderful things like the gravadlax and always a jar of her Finnish mustard. There was always dill. It might have even been a small little detail, but they were there. They were all there and, and we loved it. We loved our connection to food and to, to culture from a very early age. What are some of the earliest food memories you have from that time period? You spoke about the, uh, the gravlox and the dill. What were some of the other food memories you had that you remember? Well, I always remember the egg that my mom used to mash into bread. That was just a really small like memory and pancakes and things like that. But um, definitely the cinnamon and cardamom buns that my mother used to make always on Christmas and um, rice pudding that my grandfather used to make in Cyprus and also uh, souvlakia. I oh, can yeah. always remember my grandfather, you know, turning the kebabs and quite simple, beautiful food the rose water being splashed into rice pudding. So those are definite, definite early memories. And then our Finnish grandfather would always send us parcels at Christmas. So there would be candles and tablecloths and always some kind of food. I remember the chocolates. That sounds Carl Butzer, Chocolates and um, those thin, dark rye toasts and things like that. You know, there was always, people connect a lot with food, don't they? I think everyone. Oh, yeah. I mean, what would a Christmas parcel from a grandfather be without some kind of a food element? Yeah. We can light the table, but what could be sent was sent. And it's amazing how, you know, if I go to Finland now, the first thing I'll do is go and look for those chocolates or cardamom. When I, when I have cardamom, I just always think of cinnamon buns. I will always love dill and strawberries and, you know, from my mom's side and lemon and, and oregano, dried oregano and mint from my dad's side. How did your travels and experiences working in restaurants in different countries influence your cooking and your view of food ultimately? Um, I've, I have always found it really fascinating, to be honest, to see. I mean, that's really my, my thing. And I think my strength is just to see what people are cooking in different places, how they are doing it with the details. I'm always interested in the details of things. And um you know, depending on the weather, depending on their culture, their characters, I think people do different things with food, whether they're a more extrovert, introverted, um, depending on their, their customs and their, the celebrations that, that mark certain times of the year. I'm really, really interested in it. And, you know, traveling and working in different places, it's so amazing to be able to see what they're cooking in their homes, how they're doing it. And then, of course, in all the different places, I always start with markets, just to start with the ingredients. And then seeing what different people do with the ingredients is, for me, has always been and will always be fascinating. I like that. Now, you eventually moved with your family to Tuscany, uh, beautiful Tuscany. How did this influence your cooking and your relationship with food? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's always exciting for me to move to a new place and to, my husband is Italian, so staying on over here, I think for me it's one of the most exciting things, moving to a new place and completely immersing yourself in the culture and learning. And, and of course, Italian is so strong in its ways, in its culture, in its traditions. And 
Um, you can see that the way that they do things seasonally over here is something that I, I think that I will always carry with me from Tuscany is I love the way they have like respect for their ingredients. There's beautiful ingredients in Tuscany. We have, you know, you can go to any supermarket and come home with a handful of beautiful quality and any supermarket. You don't have to look really far or all all across. It's just beautiful. I always say that if you can have a you can have a cappuccino at the train station, it's amazing. And you can also have it in a top hotel and it's amazing. So they have a respect for their ingredients and the, a level of quality over here, which I think has really influenced my cooking. And um, the simple way that they eat whatever is in season. So now you can go out, you can start seeing the pumpkins and all the chard and the cavolonero and the beans that start coming in. And, you know, you don't see things when they're not in season over here. There's mushrooms everywhere. The colors change. The people look for different things and they look forward to certain things at the time of year. They don't look for artichokes when they're not in season or asparagus, you know, and then that goes as well for traditions like Christmas or certain traditional days throughout the year. And people actually look forward to those kind of things, as I'm sure everywhere. I also love the simplicity of the way that they cook over here. Like if you go to a restaurant and you order escalopina limone, an escalope with, with, with lemon, that's what you'll get on your plate. You know, they don't stuff a lot of other things onto your plate. If you want potatoes or some sautéed greens, you can order that separately. And I, I do appreciate the way that the, the courses are drawn out. So, you know, they'll have a, a pasta to start, their antipasto, their secondo, their, their, their primo, their secondo, a, con, a contorno, which is a side dish, and a dolce. They'll appreciate, I mean, my mother-in-law is 93, and she has a glass of wine, glass of red wine with her meal. She will, I don't think that she's eaten a sandwich ever. You know, she will always sit down and she'll cook. She'll cook a bit of pasta. She'll have a vegetable. She doesn't have to have always a second course, but she sits down. She enjoys her meal. She's got her beautiful olive oil on the table, glass of wine, and it's balanced. The food is balanced, simple, it respectful of the season, and and great top quality ingredients, even if it's less of it. And I really like that. I will always, always carry that with me, always. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. You're on your 11th cookbook now. And I know that over the years I've seen your cookbooks um, and I've talked to people about them. They're very revered. Um, as an example, Following Cloudberries, A World of Family Recipes is one that many people I know love and cherish. Did you always you. know that... Yeah, did you always know that you wanted to be a food writer? How, when, at what point in this life did this come for you? And mm -hmm. how did you know this would be your career path? I didn't. Um, it just happened for me. And it was, you know, I left school, I wanted to travel. So I think that cookbooks have grouped together everything that I love. So there is travel, there's people, food. Um, and my, my 
uh, take on it, let's say, would probably be anthropological or soci sociology-wise, the things that I have studied at university. And, you know, it's it's what interests me. So, And because coming from a, di a diverse background, I think that a book like Falling Cloudberries was, it related to many people. The Finnish people yeah. said to me, oh, I love how we can be in the same book as Italy and as Greece, which is a better known cuisine than them. And they were proud. And people around there loved it. And the Cypriot cuisine at that point was much less spoken about. You know, it was mainly just Greek, Italian. So I think that that worked. And it was literally just putting together all my places where I've been. And um, that came together beautifully. And I just... My first book that I wrote was actually 12, a Tuscan cookbook. And I wrote it collecting the recipes for myself of my time that I had been here. And it was literally just like a, a journal for myself. And I always say that when I do my books, my first copy, the first copy is for me, the way that I want to remember it, the way that I want to keep it, and to be able to refer to it many years down the line and to give it to my children. So... I essentially was just putting everything together that I loved, that really interested me. It was a little journal, like a big journal, let's say my first book. And then my second book, I thought, okay, what have I got? How can I record all these things for myself? And that was my way of recording my background, my um, the recipes that I wanted to keep jotted with a few memories and a few stories and pleasing aesthetics and all that. And people people relate to that. Yeah, I, I really love the personal touch there. I, I think that a lot of people like myself who love cookbooks and many of us, you know, who do don't just have a couple, we tend to have a whole library full of them. And it's nice to be able to kind of sit and curl up with a cup of tea and read a cookbook. And in your case, the way you write, and especially with your essays, it really kind of gives a personal, wonderful, uh, transportive kind of quality. And I think that's something that's really unique. I want to ask you as a writer, do you have any advice for people that want to get into food writing that think they might want to try their hand at it. Thank you. Thank you for those lovely words. Yes, um, I would say to people, if you know what you love, follow it, which is what I did with my first book. Uh, I wanted to keep the recipes that I wanted in one place. And I think that people often say, oh, I want to write a book or I want to write a cookbook. How do I do it? I think it's overwhelming to think of the whole book finished because for people who don't have any experience in that industry or anything, it can seem like incredibly overwhelming. Overwhelming. I say, start with one recipe, one thought. What would you like to keep for yourself that you can refer to in 10 years' time? In terms of a, in terms of a cookbook now, we're saying, um, I always collect the things that I love and I keep them in a safe place so with me, I always carry a journal. I always have a file open on a computer, on my computer. And if I ate something I like, I come and I jot it down. Details. So that page might stay blank for a while, but it might just say broccoli with avocado, lemon, olives or something, you know. That can be something that you can develop or it can be something, I say start, make like a skeleton, like a, like a tree structure with different branches going off them. And then you can elaborate on the leaves and the flowers and the blossoms. But if you collect everything that you love and you start, don't have to think it's going to be finished. It's going to be finished. It doesn't. You need one recipe, one thing that you love, because I believe that love, if you love something, 
the chances are that other people will appreciate it as well. And keep it for yourself in a way that you would give it away to people. How would you serve it? How would you, you know, what are the things that interest you that you want to collect? And collect them and trust yourselves, I would say to people. Trust your taste and trust that you know and just put one foot in front of the other. And often, once you are on a path, things just miraculously turn up. I love that. That's, that's really beautiful. I like that. That's really wonderful advice. Thank your latest. You. People at the end of it want to be inspired, don't they? Everybody likes a little bit of inspiration. So if you feel inspired by something, jot it down and find the most beautiful way that you can give it to people. You've got a page. And and I always think just use every page that you've got to make a book. I I like your advice. Your advice is wonderful because oftentimes, like myself, I know a lot of people will probably like this also. We make it too hard. We sit down and we like sweat breaks out on our forehead and we're just, we're making it too hard. And your your advice is, I think, way better. <laughs> it's overwhelming to think of doing a book, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's terrifying. So if you start with one recipe, not even one recipe, one word, one title and see where that takes you. Take your inspiration. Oh, the other thing that I would advise people always is fill yourselves with inspiration if you you cannot give anything if you've got nothing to give today today i went to the thermal baths and i thought what am i doing and i thought i'm relaxing and i'm filling every cell in my body with goodness you know whether it's a meal or um Filling your soul with the things that inspire you. For me, it's beauty, it's aesthetics. I need to go out, I need to connect nature, colors. Everybody knows what their own things are that inspire you. And when you you start with inspiring yourself, a trip somewhere, how inspiring can travel be? You just go there with a pen and paper and it can be terrifying, but it's amazing. Your senses are awakened so much more than if you just you know, doing the same old thing every day. But even if you're doing the same old thing every day, put something new on, turn some new music on, take a different walk, go on your own and just observe. That's how you start. Observe and then jot down a few bits and pieces. Your latest book that is out is Now and Then, A Collection of Recipes for Always. Can we talk about this newest book and what led you to write it? Yes. We can. It's it. Well, um, I love the idea of just taking, um, like freezing almost this moment in time. And if you say to me, "What do you eat today?" Like, what would you do now? I would open up, you know, the tablecloths I've collected and all my beautiful plates, and I would say, "What would I want to serve myself and the people I love?" And it is a collection of of all the places I've been to. And so I live in Italy. So we have a bit of Italian food. We have, I I love Indian food. So a few Indian flavors, my Greek background, uh, things from my mom, things from my travels in New Orleans from the time that I was there, Mexico, Thailand, where I go really often now. My dad lives in Thailand. Um, My mom lives in Greece. So it's, it's a continuous mixing and shuffling between what I want to eat, the things that I crave, the things that I remember, because food has got the most incredible um, jolting 
potential, hasn't it? It just takes you yeah. back to a place. It takes you to a new place. A new spice can open up a whole new world for you. So I love the experimenting of things. And today my food is uh, a lot of vegetables I eat, but I'm not vegetarian. So I thought this is an honest look at exactly the way I eat. A lot of vegetables, which is the chapter two section nowadays, a lot of like mung beans, looking into Ayurveda, which I love. Um, and and then it's a back and forth between the things that I've carried with me from my childhood, um, Mexico, Italy, New Orleans, Thailand, a little bit of a few flowers thrown in for fun. And uh, when I'm working on a book, it's always, I always say that it has a life of its own. So I don't like to say at the beginning, this and this and this and this, you know, let it go, let it breathe, let it grow, let it blossom. So I think that it can also be fun, you know, so there's a chapter, the last chapter, roses. I love roses in food. That takes me right back to my childhood. And um, it, it can be a lot of fun. And I think that food can be healing. Food joins people together. And this is the way that I eat today. A mix and match, a collage of flavors and tastes. And so I think that there's something, there's there's a lot of variety. Can we discuss a few of the chapters? This book is part travelogue and also part cookbook. Can we um, discuss some, oh, just a few of the chapters to give people an idea of what's in the book? Yeah. So so one of the chapters, one of the, the, the chapters for me is Mexico from the time that I was in Mexico. And, you know, I'll never forget that. I arrived there to study Spanish for a month and moved in with the family. And suddenly there was Rosa in the kitchen, the cook. And I just thought, oh, my word. You know, I was totally, like, overwhelmed by the, the amount of chilies and uh, things that she <laughs> took me to the market and the tortilla making every day for lunch. And... I just was completely in love with the cuisine and I just thought it was amazing. So the, the chapter on Mexico talks about Rose and my introduction and what she actually left me with. You know, it's amazing what somebody doesn't even know they're giving you. Yeah. And and they give you. So she would be making the hibiscus water every day. And then when I when I worked in New Orleans, I wasn't even planning on working there. I was just passing through, literally. And someone said to me, oh, there's a jazz festival coming up. And I was like, what? I'm not moving from here. And somehow I ended up working there. And uh, my memories from there are just so strong, so amazing, amazing, incredible food. I was so surprised by the amount of wonderful things and experiences and people that I found over there. And then, you know, there's a chapter on Italy, which I've called what I would miss if I left Italy, because that is a true reflection. If you look at yourself in the mirror, like what would you really miss? You've got 25 recipes, maybe, that you want to put in that chapter. What would you miss about your home if you left from there? That's a quite a confrontational one, isn't it? And yeah. it might not be necessarily what everybody would miss. I mean, I haven't got tortellini in there or, um, you know, rabbit. That's not what I would personally miss about Italy. I've written my personal things. And um, so there's a couple of fun chapters in there as well that, uh, you know, it's a way when, you, when you're working on chapters, it's a way of inserting things into a book, which is 
artistic license that we can do that. So you don't have to just say chicken and have chicken or vegetables and have I mean, people can do what they want in a book. And so my take on, on my book was, was this, how to line everything up and have it like in a fun way that looks good, that can be, you know, people can resonate with and relate to a touch of inspiration. For me, the most inspiring thing is when people say that I've inspired them. I don't think that you can hope for better as an author. No. I want to ask you, um, what are your most, what are you most excited about in your culinary journey ahead? Well, I'm very excited about Ayurveda, as I mentioned. I think it's a wonderful way of eating. I feel good when I eat like that. I would like to delve more into that and study that. You know, I love Indian vegetarian cooking. I love Indian food. So the spices. Um, I would like to explore also just, you know, those those kind of more healthier options. So, for example, cakes without flour and sugar would be a new challenge for me. Yeah. Or new kinds of flours, because it's not so simple just to say, I tried that once. I've got a foolproof banana bread. Yeah. I thought, okay, I'm going to see my celiac friend. I'll make the banana bread and I'll just buy a few different the guy at the health shop said to me, um, just take a bag of the ready flowers. And I said, no, I don't want a bag. I don't know what's in it. I yeah. want to know so I can write it down and hopefully keep it as a new recipe. So for the 300 grams of flour that I needed to substitute, I thought it ca I cannot do much damage. You know, so I, yeah. I put a, bit, a little bit of rice flour, a bit of spelt, a bit of, or, 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 I don't know what else I used that was gluten-free. Um, it was a disaster awful it was bitter the cake didn't rise um the, but mainly the taste just wasn't nice and i thought okay you know there's an issue here that i need to get to the bottom of so i would like to know which are the cakes that i love i want to be able to make things with less sugar and things that really are good for people and good for the people around me everyone has some challenge at the moment they want to eat less sugar they want to eat less red meat so I'm exploring those options and um, and being true to myself, which is why my book, you know, kind of does all of that because I could have my red meat once a week, fish twice a week, chicken once, and explore plant-based for the rest. But at the moment, where I stand, I can I didn't want to say I'm writing a book on vegetarian cooking. I don't want to because I don't have all the protein counts and the the food groups to to give to people there because I'm not a vegetarian. So um, I will always be interested in travel. So there's new places in travel that I want to explore. Japan, um, New Zealand, South America, and not only vast countries like that. You know, there's, there's Indonesia and there's places that I've got on my list of to-go's. But there's also even little how different things are, like even in, in, in the States, in America, how different different regions are and I think that you can get excited about a village or a household I think that inspiration comes in so many ways yeah Tessa I want to thank you for being on the podcast I really enjoyed getting to have this lovely conversation with you I want to remind our listeners that the book now and then is out now we're going to have links to it and the other 10 books in the bio you can just click on those and purchase them or you can buy them at all better bookstores Tessa, thank you for the lovely conversation.
Thank you for the wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. That was my conversation with the wonderful Tessa Kiros. You can get her new book, Now and Then, at All Better Bookstores or all through ma major retailers. It makes a wonderful gift for a friend or for yourself. Check that out now. Next week, I'll be talking with Blanche Vaughn, and she's going to be featured in my next episode. She is the editor for House and Garden Magazine. She's a former editor and food writer, and she has a new book out called A Year in the Kitchen, which is a wonderful book, which I highly recommend. She'll be in next week's uh, episode. And as I said, we're going to be going on a bit of a hiatus, and we'll be replaying some of our favorite episodes until I come back in February. I hope that you're enjoying these episodes as I air them, and I hope you're going to enjoy the holiday season. And I hope to come back to you with some really great recipe, um, some really great episodes, and some good uh, conversations with food authors. Until then, I'll see you at the library, and happy holidays. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.